the explosive new film, Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost, exposes secrets behind the government's takedown of General Michael Flynn. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. He told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. They had to get rid of Flynn. Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to SalemNow.com. SalemNow.com. into a Thursday. Typically, this would be the uh, governor's spokesperson's slot. She couldn't make it today. She'll be with us uh, next Thursday if we're here in uh, the uh, studio. We could be in Dallas. I'll tell you about that in just a few moments. Uh, But you know how I am. We always have great shows. And we're going to have a great show today. Jonathan Wood's going to start us off. He's the senior attorney uh, with the Pacific Legal Foundation. And and Jonathan, thanks for joining us. A lot of people are not even, because of all this impeachment BS that's going on, a lot of us uh, and a lot of my listeners do not know some of the great things that the president is getting done. Uh, he signed some executive orders. He has been cutting red tape left and right and yesterday was no exception, correct? Yeah, that's exactly right. Thanks for having me. Yesterday, the president signed two executive orders that look to reform the administrative state, the group of bureaucrats that issue the rules that regulate all of us to make it fair for the average American and avoid some of the worst abuses we've seen. Explain to my listeners exactly what's happening here. Can you give us some stories? Yeah, absolutely. So the basic problem that the president is targeting is the enactment of rules in secret by bureaucrats. Most of us in our civics class learned that the way laws are are enacted is Congress passes them, the president signs them, and that's the basic process. But these days, that's the rare exception. Most of the laws that apply to you and me are actually written by bureaucrats who no one ever voted on and are really difficult to hold accountable Um, The one check we have is that they're supposed to propose their rules, subject them to public comment, and defend them. But increasingly, they're writing the rules, you know, behind the scenes. They're issuing what are called guidance documents that purport to interpret the law, but in effect create new rules that increase costs and impose harms on Americans across the country. And I was happy that one of my clients was actually there with the president to tell his story of how this works. Uh, he is a property owner in Wyoming who constructed a pond on his private property to provide water for his daughter's horses. The state gave him a permit for it. Everything was on the up and up, and in fact, the pond was environmentally beneficial. But then after all the work was done, EPA came in out of nowhere. I remember the story. 
Yeah, as a, I mean, at the time, it got a lot of attention. I remember EPA was pretty mad. Even the New York Times ran a piece criticizing what they were doing. But they essentially showed up out of nowhere, said, we have this secret rule that you had no reason to know about that says that you can't actually build this pond, even though the law that Congress enacted expressly says you can build ponds for livestock. <laughs> and so unless you rip it out and do what we say, we're going to fine you $37,500 a day. Um, and essentially ruin you and your family. Yeah, we've heard about that. We've heard about the EPA coming in and uh, telling uh, landowners that, hey, you can't have, uh, can't mess with that water on your property because it belongs to the waterways of the United States, and uh, we have complete control of, over that. I mean, it's been a bureaucratic nightmare for ranchers in this country for several years, correct? That's right. And when they do it, they're almost never relying on the words actually enacted by Congress. They're instead relying on things that bureaucrats dreamed up to expand their power under the Clean Water Act. And this was no exception. As I mentioned, Congress actually exempted livestock ponds from the Clean Water Act. But without telling anyone, EPA issued a guidance document that said that, well, we're going to interpret that really, really narrowly because it's important that we get to regulate as many of these ponds as possible. So unless you meet these specific criteria that we're not going to tell anyone about, uh, you're in violation, and we can prosecute you or fine you into ruin. So, Jonathan, explain to me, explain to my listeners, how some bureau rat somewhere in the deep bowels of Washington, D.C., can make up uh, the law, so to speak, and not even tell Congress about it. I mean, Congress is the legislative branch that our Constitution says makes the law, not bureau rats. You're exactly right. They can't do it under the Constitution. This practice is a clear violation of the Constitution's separation of powers. But unfortunately, most of our branches of the government aren't that interested in enforcing that separation of powers. Congress would very happily you know, pass the buck over to the bureaucrats rather than be responsible for the laws themselves. Courts don't want to resolve these sorts of questions. They have doctrines that require them to defer to bureaucrats whenever they say the law means this or we want to regulate that. You know, it really is a failing across the board to follow protections that our founding fathers built into the Constitution to ensure that no one could regulate us or threaten us with punishment without our consent as shown through the people we elect to pass laws. This is, you know, this is the stuff that, Americans should rise up and and stop, but the only way you can stop it is if your elected officials do their job, correct? That's right, and I I think the good news is there is more awareness of this problem. There's more interest in dealing with it. As I said yesterday, I think President Trump took a pretty significant step in that direction. So going forward, agencies aren't going to be able to write these rules in secret anymore. If they want to create a policy that's going to apply to the public, they're going to have to announce it beforehand, take public comment, and submit submit it for review by the White House so that someone who actually has to answer to the American people will be looking at what's being done and have a final say. Our guest is Jonathan Wood. He's a senior attorney for the Pacific Legal Foundation. Jonathan, i got to pay the bill, so i got to take a break here. Can you hold on? We'll be right back with you. Absolutely. More coming your way here on the Dave Ellswick Show. Yeah, Jonathan Wood is our guest here on the Dave Ellswick Show, senior attorney uh, here 
And we're talking to him about uh, the president. The president sat down yesterday, signed himself uh, some really good, uh, well, some good executive orders that are going to benefit us as, as voters. And that's what he's been good about doing. Uh, Jonathan is with the Pacific Legal Foundation. We've got about another uh, 12 minutes with him or so. And, and Jonathan, tell try to put this in a perspective that my my listener can say this will affect me how how is this going to affect does this save money uh does this save taxes uh does this just promote freedom i think it's all of the above but the most direct way it'll affect your listeners is that no longer do you have to worry about a rule being enforced against you that you had no reason to know about so I mentioned earlier the story of Andy Johnson, the Wyoming property owner that built a pond, and I think his, his treatment by EPA demonstrates just how bad the situation was before. So I mentioned EPA showed up, accused him of violating the Clean Water Act, and threatened him with $37,500 per day in fines. They didn't explain why they thought he had violated the Clean Water Act. They didn't prove it. They just accused him and started racking up the fines, knowing that the sort of leverage they would get over him and his family would give him essentially no choice but to back down. And they kept that, they strung that out for two years before PLF came to Andy's aid and, and sued the agency on his behalf. And by that point, the fines he was facing were over $16 million. So you can imagine the, for a pond. Sure your listeners, the average American can't possibly stand up to that kind of threat. You know, that that's the whole thing. You know, when the power of the government comes against you, you don't realize how powerful the government really is, $16 million. After it was all said and done, how much did this man have to spend to protect himself against a rule that he nor any anybody else probably even knew about? Well, he was fortunate to be represented by PLF, which as a nonprofit law firm doesn't charge attorney's fees. But I don't want this guy. He did have to pay a lot in consultants and you know, meetings and all, all sorts of other things that he had, he and his family had to endure for those two years. But, uh, you know, for most families, that's not even an option because the prospect of litigating and suing the agency is just prohibitively expensive. I mean, when you look at this, you go, somebody says, oh, yeah, how many of those stories are there? Something tells me there's a lot of these kinds of stories out in America. Am I wrong? You're right. There are a lot of these stories, and we're only now hearing about them because up until 2012, property owners in Andy's situation couldn't even sue the agency to challenge these sorts of threats. The rule before that was the agency can threaten you, accuse you, and start racking up these fines, and your options are either to wait for them to sue you and pay all the money or give in and do what they want. You had no third option. So only now do we have property owners coming forward and saying, no, EPA what you're doing is wrong, and I'm going to defend myself. And in you know just the five, seven years since that happened, we've seen countless stories around the country. I mean, this was a, this was and is a pervasive problem. I think the executive order will make it a less common one. So going forward, if an agency wants to bring an enforcement action or make threats like this, it will have to actually provide the evidence and explain why it thinks you violated the law. And it'll have to give you a chance to respond. So no longer are you stuck in this limbo where you can't do anything, but every single day your family is getting closer and closer to bankruptcy. So tell us, Jonathan, 
this is an executive order, which means another president comes in and he decides that he don't care. He liked it the way it was. He's a Democrat. So uh, he gets rid of uh, the president's executive order, basically. Can we go back to this? I mean, is the bottom line that the way it needs to be done is that Congress needs to do their due diligence and do what they're supposed to be doing? Yes, absolutely. Long term, the the way that we're going to fix these problems of abuses by by bureaucrats and administrative state is that Congress has to take more accountability for writing the laws and saying what policy should be. And courts have to be more willing to rule against agencies when they stray beyond what Congress has authorized. But that said, I, I think there's a pretty good chance an executive, executive orders like these won't be repealed by future administrations. Maybe this will be different, but in the past, whenever uh, presidents have written executive orders that target the process by which agencies act, those have generally been upheld. So President Reagan famously issued an executive order requiring agencies to do cost-benefit analysis yes. to make sure they weren't regulating people too much. That ended up actually being approved and expanded by President Clinton and I think also by President Obama. These process-type reforms end up not being as political and are more likely to survive and improve from one president to the next, regardless of party. Hmm. So what should we be looking for uh, in the future? What are some other areas you wish wish that the president would turn his eye towards, Jonathan? I mean, you're the senior attorney there at the Pacific Legal Foundation. I'm sure there's areas that you all believe need some form of action. Absolutely. I I think the two big ones are ones that we've hinted at that probably talk a little bit more about. The first one is Congress has to take more responsibility for the laws that are being imposed on us. These executive orders are a good start. They're sort of bringing light to the problem and giving the American public a chance to at least comment on what's going on. Uh, But ultimately, the policies that agencies are enacting really should be being reviewed by Congress itself. And there are tools that Congress and the president have to encourage that sort of engagement with the democratic process, and they need to do more of that. And the second is that courts need to be more engaged in reviewing what agencies do. Uh, And unfortunately, the government and, and the agencies themselves are absolutely committed to the idea that courts have to put a heavy thumb on the scale in their favor anytime they're involved in cases with, you know, the average citizen. And that needs to end. The, the government itself should disclaim that and say it is unfair for a judge to bias himself in favor of one party against another in litigation. All right. Then finally, for my listeners, should they be writing to their congressmen and their senators and demanding that, you know, Congress do its job and quit, uh, you know, giving the power over to bureaucrats to do it? Absolutely. And, I, you know, that's the reason why we have this problem is Congress wanted to avoid accountability and got away with it. Um, so I think, that, you know, the two things are demand that Congress change the incentives so that they engage more and also hold Congress accountable for what the agencies do. One of the things that drives me the craziest is whenever an agency does something really unpopular and Congress, congressmen will say, oh, don't blame me. What can I do? That's the agency. But Congress is the one calling the shots. They're the ones that the Constitution authorizes to write the laws. So they need to be held accountable for what agencies do, too. Well, let me give you a few minutes here as we wrap it up today uh, to talk a little bit about, uh, in general, about the Pacific Legal Foundation, what you all do, how you do it, and uh, where my folks can go to to learn more about you and 
perhaps to uh, give to your cause? Oh, thank you. So Pacific Legal Foundation is the nation's oldest nonprofit law firm dedicated to defending individual liberty and property rights around the country. We've been around since 1973 and have a track record of success in the Supreme Court. We've actually won 11 major Supreme Court cases defending everyday Americans from abuse by their government. And about half of those have been in the last 10 years alone. Um, the basic overriding theme for our work is ordinary people who need someone to come help them stand up for their rights, constitutional rights and other rights, um, against unaccountable government. And, and as I said, we've had quite a bit of success with that. So anyone who is you know, running into problems of abuse by the government or concerned about the problem overall, I would encourage you to go to Pacific Legal Foundation's website, which is pacificlegal.org. You can hear more stories like Andy Johnson's that I talked about today, and you can find ways to engage with us to help us identify future cases, future issues, as well as to support our work. Jonathan Wood, I want to thank you for giving us uh, the time. We put this together uh, with your folks uh, that uh, helped me get people like you on the air. We did this in, uh, you know, record time, to be honest. And I appreciate you giving us the time today as senior attorney. I know you're busy and I appreciate it. It's my pleasure. All right. Thank you very much. Again, uh, that's Jonathan Wood, the senior attorney from the Pacific Legal Foundation. Think about that. You know, you you go out and you build a pond out on your uh, your land. Here, let me just do this. In, in 2014, bureaucrats, that's what I call them, bureaucrats, not bureaucrats, from the EPA threatened a, uh, a rancher with a $20 million fine for building a stock pond on his property, even though Congress specifically exempted stock ponds from EPA regulation. The agency relied on a guidance document that reinterpreted the law. Quote, about five years ago, when I applied for a stock pond permit for my private property, I had no idea that the EPA would come knocking at my door and threaten me and my family civilly criminally, and with a fine of $37,500 per day, Andy Johnson said. The fines were up to $16 million when the Pacific Legal Foundation stepped in and sued the EPA on my behalf and my family. And by the way, couldn't used to not be able to sue the EPA. That's been changed. Thank God for that, huh? Get your day in court. At uh, that point, the EPA changed their attitude. PLF eventually secured a favorable settlement with the EPA on Johnson's behalf. There you go. A, a rule, a rule that the rancher uh, had no idea about, not in any way, uh, shape, or form. It says, when agencies develop regulations, the law and previous executive orders require that they weigh the costs and benefits and propose the rules Yada, yada, yada. But bureaucrats often skirt these legal requirements by issuing guidance documents, informal directives that create new policies or reinterpret existing rules in new ways, but which the agencies often enforce as legally 
binding rules. Incredible. Incredible. You're fighting your own government. That's what it comes down to. You've got to fight your own government. That should not happen. And the reason it's happening, and we've talked about it before on this show, is that Congress has given up their power. I mean, their power is simple. They're supposed to make the laws as the legislature. They make the laws. What they did is they put a bunch of other people in charge of taking care of making laws. All right, so the new spokesperson for the governor's office, Katie Beck, couldn't be here today. Uh, She was up to her nose with news that she had to deal with from the governor's office. Sitting in the studio right now, not for her, but because I asked him to come in, is J.R. Davis. You know, he's now working outside the governor's office, but I can have him on and we can talk, you know, politics together. And so I asked him to come on yeah. today and, and join me. Did you hear my last interview? I John, didn't. Jonathan Wood? No, no, no. I had the senior attorney on from the Pacific Legal Foundation, and uh, they were talking about uh, the president signing two executive orders yesterday, basically stopping something that I didn't even know happened. I mean, I, 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 look, I've known for years that Congress has given up their, their power, so to speak, because by the Constitution, the Congress of the United States, the legislative branch is the branch that makes the laws that the country runs under. That's their responsibility. However... What Congress has done in the past is started, uh, you know, uh, what's the best way to put this? Groups like, uh, you know, the e- the EPA or the, the was it the NEA and 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 people like that, who they say no more than they do, and then they put laws together. And then Congress says, okay, that's cool. All right, and they let those laws stand. Check this out. Tell me if you've ever heard of this before, um, JR. Have you ever heard of something called, where is it, a uh, a guidance document? I, I Actually, I have heard of a guidance document. Okay, so there was, a, and this is not, just a singular occasion. This is happening to a lot of mm-hmm. people. There was a rancher, and he, his, his daughter wanted to have some horses. So he built a stock pond on his land. And the Congress had passed a law saying that uh, that's okay. Congress specifically exempted stock ponds from EPA regulation. So he he got the permit, went and built it. The EPA shows up later and says, nope, you can't do that. And if you don't stop what you've done, we're going to start hitting you for a fine of $37,500 a day. Wow. It just so happened that the year before they had passed a law that allowed you to sue the EPA if they came after you. So he took him to court. Absolutely. But he got 
he got help. He got guidance from uh, the Pacific Legal Foundation. And when they stepped in to help him, do you know how much the fines were at that point? $16 million. That's ridiculous. Over a stock pond. Unbelievable. And so, That's why people hate the federal government. Yes. And so what the president did yesterday, signed an executive order saying you can't do this. Absolutely. You, you can't make secret laws. This is, <laughs> yeah. this is a secret law. Right. They know about it. You don't know about it. The law says you can do it, but they've got a guidance document that says you can't. We say, no, you can't. You know, Congress needs to take this and stop it. Absolutely. Themselves. Yeah. I mean, not not by just a presidential executive order, but passing a law saying. Make it concrete. Stop yep. it, dudes. Absolutely. Incredible. It, it you know. I'm not sure anything actually surprises me anymore with with the federal government, but when you're going after something like that and you have uh, you have fines upwards of sixteen million dollars for something like that, it's just ludicrous. When it all one. got said and done, twenty million bucks. <laughs> it's ludicrous, absolutely ludicrous. Well, you know, take thirty-seven five hundred into twenty million and tell you how long it took to litigate it. Yeah. And I asked him, I and he didn't know, uh, Jonathan Wood, the senior attorney, did not know how much money came out of this rancher's pocket, but you know there was a significant amount. Absolutely. Yeah, there's no doubt. I mean, that's the, that's the frustrating part, too, is, you know, when you have something like this happen, that EPA overreach, secret laws that are affecting how you live your life, right? And, you know, the funny thing is people don't even deal with these uh, with these bureaucracies on a daily basis. And then when they come into your life, it can completely ruin you. Um, and that's frustrating. But on top of that as well, uh, he goes out and gets the permit. It's not like he just did it. He went he out and followed got a permit, the law. Followed the law that he knew was on the books, yes. which is the way it should be. Yes. Um, and then this happens and, and, you know, and truly financially, uh, it takes a toll, you know, that 37500 a day. But like you said, the legal costs and everything else he's had to go through, no telling how much he spent on top of that. Right. Um, it's just, and and again, his faith, uh, and I don't know what was there beforehand, but the faith in the federal government and, and what it's supposed to do and, and how it's supposed to work for the people uh, of this country will forever and always be shaken, you know, and, and that's just, that's a shame. So I'm glad to see the president do what he did. Uh, that's, that's, Again, it's it's sort of, you know, kudos to the president. It's common sense. And it's glad to have someone in the White House yeah. that actually, and, and a staff surrounding him that knows, hey, we need to get these things done um, and help people out. But it, it, those stories are just, they're mind-boggling. They really are. Yeah, rancher's name, Andy Johnson, by the way, he was in the Oval Office yesterday when the president signed those executive orders. Pretty cool. I love it. So I give... I mean, you probably got a free flight to Washington, D.C. somehow and back home or whatever. But still, that's just kind of crazy stuff when you think about oh, it. Yeah. Yeah. Sixteen million for a for a stock bond. They just, yeah. Unbelievable. Unbelievable. This is that's the kind of stuff that. I talk about on this show is you don't know about it until you get tied up in it. Yeah. And then a lot of people don't even know what it is that you're tied up in. And it's a scary, you know, I think, proposition for anyone when you hear this story. It could be literally anyone. And as I sta- you know, as I said earlier, I mean, this is just going on, living your life, trying to, you know, do the things that make you happy. How you said it was his daughter. Yeah, uh, his daughter. Wanted to do something wanted for his daughter. To, wanted to help, he wanted to help his daughter raise some horses on his <laughs> on his land. So he built a stock pond. 
I mean, a stock pond is when you're driving down the road and you see the water out in the field yeah. and the cows are drinking at it. That's a stock pond. Yeah, so imagine that. I mean, can you in any imagine in any scenario that guy's thinking, I'm going to put a stock pond in. You know, if I do that, I might get tied up with, in litigation with the EPA for roughly $20 million. I really need to weigh if I want to do that. I'll be, ha- I mean, there's, I'll be happy to say I hate the EPA. Yeah, I really no do. There's no possible way. Like, that's just it. There's just no possible way. Uh, and no one thinks about those things. Again, it's just that's what's scary. And what I mean by scary proposition is that this could happen to anyone on any given day for something you don't think twice about. Uh, and and that's where I think that you just over the years you've just seen this deterioration in trust in Congress. You see where their approval ratings are yep. in the federal government. You know EPA has a bad name because of what they've done, and not because of you know it's not just because it's a farce. I mean they they have they have backed that up. So it's frustrating, uh, and you know, but I'm glad to see that the president is doing something about it. But I agree with you. I mean, if you want to cement some of these things the president has done, you got to have congressional action, and uh, and so hopefully we'll see. Uh, some leadership step up there, and they'll put aside all this other stuff and actually get some work done for the people of America. Don't expect anything to be no, done probably not. over the next few weeks. Let me tell you what. You got the, what is it, uh, the USMCA sitting out there that means millions of dollars to American farmers. And uh, need, it needs to be heard uh, by Congress, mm-hmm. get, it, get it passed through Congress. It has already passed in Mexico. It's in its last stage in Canada, we haven't even started it. Why? Well, because the, you know, the committees that deal with it are looking at a Ukrainian phone call that the president made. You know, what's frustrating about all that. And this, you know, I know the USMCA and then you go to NAFTA and it's all tied up in politics and the Democrats don't want the president to get a win. And and that's what it's all about. That is what it's all about. But you cannot tell me with a straight face, Democrat, Republican sitting across the table, that NAFTA did not need to be remodernized, or excuse me, modernized and updated. Uh, we're talking about something that was signed in the early 90s. We all knew. Absolutely, it needed to be modernized. No one, I mean, nobody will uh, will push back on that, yet there's no action being taken. And that is what's so frustrating, because... We have these tariffs, and I, and I truly believe it's part of the Democratic strategy to sort of bleed out the middle class and, and, our, and our agricultural communities across uh, the Midwestern states because they know that that's a base for Trump, and if they can hurt them as much as possible, maybe they'll squeeze a few votes out. Yeah. That's why you have the ongoing tariff war, which is obviously something the president continues to push, but you have the USMCA that would benefit our farmers it needs to be ratified. We got, the, we got to get we got it done. The Japanese t- uh, treaty coming the up Japanese as well. Japanese treaty. So, I mean, that's what I believe. I think it's basically, you know, doing as little as possible to try to squeeze those votes uh, from Trump, which isn't going to happen anyway. I think you've seen the wherewithal from our farmers, uh, yeah. And I think a lot of people see what's going on, um, and so it's. Just, I think they understand what's sure. going on. Absolutely. Yeah. Absolutely. And so, you know, it's one of those things that. Uh, uh, you know, they think they're being sneaky about it. I think a lot of people see it. And and this is something that can really, really help our economy, especially our ag community. And it needs to be done. And and it's crazy that we're still talking about that, number one. Uh, this is something that should have been done months ago. Um, so we'll see what happens. Uh, I agree with you. We've got uh, some, some filing deadlines across the country that are coming up, and, and hopefully that'll help uh, uh, bring some stability before we get right in the heart of, of the election season, but I wouldn't hold our breath. So, 
All right, J.R. Davis is here with me here in the Dave Ellswick Show. We got one more segment for this hour, 246 right now, unless you're listening to the repeat, and it's 546 in your afternoon here on the Dave Ellswick Show, 101.1 FM, The Answer. Hey, we got about nine minutes left here in the rest of, of this hour. J.R. Davis is my uh, special guest. I get I, How do I introduce you now? You're J.R. Davis... The what? <laughs> uh, I am a uh, senior strategist at Gilmore Strategy Group. Senior strategist. I know, right? That sounds like really good. Did they give you an office and everything? I've got an office and everything. Wow, see? But they didn't give you a whole lot of money, did they? Well, Dave, you know, now that I'm in the private sector, I just can't <laughs> discuss those things. <laughs> got to laugh. Got to laugh. This is what I've always found out, like in broadcasting, this is what they'll do to you. Well, Dave, we really appreciate what you have done. It's just fantastic. We're going to give you your very own office. And you get an office, you don't get a raise. <laughs> You get a you just get an office. You don't well, get hey, any look, money. I spent the last <laughs> four and three quarters years with my uh, salary very much. Uh, if you wanted to look it up, you could. So, yeah, uh, but no, it's been. No, fun. I was just kidding you about that. I don't expect you oh, to no, say no, what no, it I'm is, but I'm, with you. I'm I'm just saying. No, it's that, great. It's a. You it's, know, they give you an office, and it's like see how big. That's like right. working in Florida. They pay you in sunshine dollars. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. You get a window. Yeah, right. have you there ever you heard? The, have you yeah. ever heard that yeah. term? Yeah, yeah, sunshine dollars. You ever heard that, Zach? Yeah, it means. Well, Dave, how much money do you want? You're working in Florida. Look at how yeah. beautiful the weather yeah. is. Yeah, yeah. Come on. We'll let you look outside twice a day. It'll be great. It's perfect. Guess what? I'll take the job in Minneapolis just because I don't care if it's cold. Exactly. <laughs> there you go. Yep. I can pay for the extra heat bill that I got with the extra money they're going to pay me. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, I almost sit in a chair with a laptop. I don't need an office. So. Yeah. I, I didn't know what that meant until I actually had it. Having the WOAI. Um, was it OAI? No, that's in San Antonio. I forget. It's the big station in Miami that was talking to me. And, and I thought, man. I'm ready, you know. I'm ready for what they're going to offer, and they offered, and I was, I was like, "What?" I mean, that's serious. That's why I said, "What?" And they said, "Dave, yeah. I mean, look, you're going to be living here in Florida," and I, I was kind of like, "So?" Yeah, also, I'll also be living in Miami. <laughs> yeah, so well, I don't what's know what the, the cost of living that? situation is? Now but... I'll agree. You know, there is South Beach. I mean, I understand that, but still. Yeah, I can't eat or drink. Yeah, you know, you know, sun dollars. I just exactly. can't do you that. You get one meal a week. <laughs> one was, meal a week in your was, office. It was really funny. It was really crazy because when they when they brought me down to wine and dine me and all that because they always do that. They put me up in this motel and my deck, my my balcony out my room looked over at the, on the beach of South Beach and I wake up first day and it's like nine o'clock and I step out there. And it's all these women out in bikinis playing volleyball. Maybe that's why. <laughs> maybe that's why they were like, "All right, Dave, sun they dollars, tell you, Dave. They, They're the sun dollars." <laughs> anyway, it's just crazy. So you've you've had almost two full weeks now. Yeah, yeah, it's been good. It's uh, it's still busy, um, but you know, there's you know different clients you're you're working with and uh, and and enjoying that and learning a lot. Uh, you know, it's just a different. Um, still along with my skill set communications and things like that and 
I uh, still get to work with the governor on on certain things, and and I love doing that. Um, but it is it's different, but it's really enjoyable, and and you know it's always good when you're in a job and you're growing, uh, and you're continuing to to learn. Uh, that's what's fun uh, about continuing a career. If you're not growing, you're not learning. You're probably getting tired of it, and uh, and so you're getting close to being fired. Is what's happening. That's also probably the case. Yeah, so it's long, but no, it's good, and I, I work with. Uh, John Gilmore, uh, who founded it about three years ago, and and Rhett Hatcher, uh, I've worked with both of them before, so it's been a lot of fun. It's been a really easy transition, um, and we just you know hit the ground running. It's busy. It's uh, it was busy in the governor's office. It's busy outside the governor's office, but it's a different kind of busy. Um, and so uh, I enjoyed uh, my former job a lot, and I'm enjoying this one as well. So, have you heard that McDaniel? For all of you who've forgotten, he used to be the AG here in in Arkansas, who thought that AG meant almost governor, right? And uh, did not it did not mean that for him because he did not do what he needed to do. But the bottom line is a nice way of putting it. Yeah, I try. I'm, yeah, I'm trying good, to be nice. Man. I'm trying to be nice. Did I hear that he's his company that he started? I guess he's with some other mm-hmm. legal guys. They're building. Some kind of uh, office or something, yeah. pretty close to the capital. They are, they are, and he has a firm, um, and uh, and they do some similar work. Um, but he's, you know, they're more. I'm sure they're. I'm sure that they're not as conservative as you all are. Well, that's. I think he would probably admit that to you as well. So, uh, <laughs> I know but Daniel no, I would. think he. Uh, yeah, I, they're building an, an office uh, in downtown Little Rock, close to the uh, capital. So, it's. Uh, we'll see. It's in the works. I don't know. I just can't wait it. to run into McDaniel again in the hallways. He hated my guts. <laughs> nah, well, that's, but that's good. That's good. Because, go. Well, between him and, and BB, I was in their case all the time when they were running things here in the state. Did you still do your? Uh, did you do your show from the Capitol? Oh yeah, even then. Yeah, but so. he put BB put me way up on the fourth really? floor. So that wow. nobody knew I was even nobody, there. Nobody, you were just lurking, right? But see, I I spoiled that for him when I read that letter that he wrote to Sebelius, saying that he wanted Arkansas to be the first state in the union to, you know, start the uh, Affordable Care Act, and that we wanted to lead the way and light the torches and have the big parade. And then he was telling everybody at the exact same time that I was talking about how he wasn't sure about the Affordable Care Act and all the rest. He was telling me. That. He was telling the press that, and I was telling the people the truth. And he didn't like that. No, he didn't. Well, a lot of people still like him. He's a likable guy. He is. Yeah, you he know, really is. But don't turn your back. I'm just telling you. Don't turn your back. Ask Dawn Creek more about that. Just saying. I got stories. I've seen it happen. We'll have to do an After Dark with Dave Ellswick, a special we, to 101.1. The last day of my career. I can tell you stories that will make your hair curl. <laughs> so, so the last day of your career, on your last day, you're just going to do a um, an expose, four hour show, just until they cut you off. That's a <laughs> four hour expose of about politicians. People are crashing their vehicles listening today. They can't believe it. There's four I've, car pileups. Now, I have alluded to things yeah. before, but there's some things that you just can't say on the air because I have to. I have to weigh of what's going to happen have you ever considered doing a podcast i have because you know that's sort of 
Yeah, that's, you can say whatever you want to say. Dave. Yeah, supposedly. But there's yeah. still blowback. I'm just sure. saying, you know, you here's what everybody needs to understand. Even though it is Little Rock, Arkansas, there are still people who wield a lot of power. Yeah. And they can make your life miserable. And they did for me several times, several times. But we persevered. I have good friends uh, who stand in the conservative cause, and we fought back, and we won. We won. So uh, that's that's important that uh, people I, – I just want everybody to know, listen to this show. This is the conservative talk show of Little Rock. It really, really is. We've been fighting this battle now for 20 years, and we'll continue to fight it. This is something we'll continue to do. All right, let's take a break. JR and I will be back. It's the Dave Ellswick Show here at 1011 FM, The Answer. back on the Dave Ellswick Show. J.R. Davis is here. He is now a senior strategist. Did you ever cool. think you'd see the day? Yeah. yeah. You, when we would talk politics, it it was very obvious you knew what you were talking about. That's well, fun. And that's good. Well, I've man, I've been immersed in politics since I was 16, man. I just the way it is. Did you hear Tulsi Gabbard? You know, she's she's up in the next DNC debate. Now she's saying she may not come. You want to hear why? Here's cut number three. I want to thank all of you so much for your support. I need to share something with you that's very important. There are so many of you who I've had the opportunity to meet in Iowa and New Hampshire who've expressed to me how frustrated you are that the DNC and the corporate media are essentially trying to usurp your role as voters in choosing who our Democratic nominee will be. I share your concerns, and I'm sure that all of our supporters throughout the country do as well. Now, the 2016 Democratic primary election was rigged by the DNC and their partners in the corporate media against Bernie Sanders. In this 2020 election, the DNC and the corporate media are rigging the election again, but this time it's against the American people in the early voting states of 
Iowa, New Hampshire, South Carolina, and Nevada. They're attempting to replace the roles of voters in the early states using polling and other arbitrary methods, which are not transparent or democratic. And they're holding so-called debates, which really are not debates at all, but rather commercialized reality television meant to entertain rather than to inform or enlighten. So in short, the DNC and the corporate media are trying to hijack the entire election process. So in order to bring attention to this serious threat to our democracy and to ensure that your voice is heard, I'm seriously considering boycotting the next debate on October 15th. I'm going to announce my decision within the next few days. But I just want to say with my deepest and warmest aloha, thank you all again for your support. You know, if she wasn't a Democrat, I could probably vote for her. Yeah. I'm just I'm just saying I, I kind of like her. She's she's like out in the middle of a desert. She's like this oasis of kind of kind of common sense. Although I will tell you this as you dig below the surface, the water's poisoned. But still, you know, that was it's, strong. It, it, she's very good. I've been very impressed with her in the debates. I think she and she's a vet, man. Yeah, she's a vet, and she. Uh, I mean, she's well spoken. I mean, she's very sharp. I actually thought, you know, for as crazy as Gillibrand is, I thought she did really, really well in the debates as well. I was surprised always with her and Tulsi Gabbard. She is. I, I'm very impressed with her. Her sort of, um, her political acumen, sort of her in tunedness, if you will, uh, to what's going on, and then how to respond to it. Uh, and that debate where she went after uh, Kamala Harris was gold. I loved yeah. it. it. You could just tell it just ticked off Harris. She was doing everything she could to go after Biden. And all of a sudden you had this, in, I think in her mind, this this little yapping dog next to her that wouldn't let her think straight. And but it bit her. It bit her. It bit her. <laughs> Those are the ones you got to watch after. And, yeah. Uh, and now with this, I think it's, I'm telling you right now, <laughs> I feel like I come on here every week and we talk about this, but it is just... You know, there are, uh, I don't know how many there are right now, but there's about 20 Democrats, and then you got, yeah, the, and there then are you got the House uh, just just digging a hole. And they just keep digging it. And when They're one rests themselves. to get a bottle of water, there's you know 19 others and the rest of Congress digging and digging and digging. You've got this impeachment albatross that ain't going anywhere. Uh, and it's only, and you've already seen House Republican leadership out there trying to capitalize on all this because they think they've got a real shot of of winning back the house in 2020 they're going to do everything they can to rile up the base uh trump base is going to be i mean they are incensed by all this so they're going to be out there voting uh and then all the while you have these democratic candidates that can't seem to come to grips with reality as far as what the american people want to hear what they need to hear i shouldn't say need maybe they feel that's what they need to hear but it ain't going to work in a general and then on top of this you've got tulsi gabbard a member of the democratic party a candidate for president saying again for the second straight presidential election that the dnc is rigging it all it it is just a a cluster uh that uh, that you know i'm and it ain't it's not going to stop i think there will be more things that come out but right now you've got those three things happening and Democrats, I think, and, and Democrat strategists feel like they're, I truly think they think they're right. They're right on target here, mm-hmm. and they're doing what they need to do to win the 2020 election. It's not, it's just not going to happen. I do not see how it happens with the way things are going right now. No, I don't see it. I laughed yesterday. I didn't get to play it on the air, but I had the audio yesterday, but we didn't play it, where uh, Hillary, you know, uh, Trump was 
was poking her a little bit. He gets that sharp stick that he has and starts sticking her with it and uh, said, I hope you do run again. Come on, I'll, you know, we'd love to have you on. And he started write, you know, writing in all the stuff. You know, maybe we can find out what you did with all those emails and all the rest. And and then she says, "Baby, you know, watch out what you 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 wish for, or I'll have to beat you again." Think about that. She said, "I'll have to beat." She didn't beat him in the first place. <laughs> That's the thing. Oh, I got three million more votes. So what? So what? That no, we don't do it on popular vote. We do it by the electoral college, and you run your campaign a different way for the electoral college than you do when you go in for the, you know, the popular vote. You don't worry that you might lose California. Yeah. You know, so what you pick up, uh, you know, uh, a gazillion votes in California, who cares? They only got X amount of electoral votes. And if you truly believe and look, I, I, I'm a fan of the electoral college. I think it, absolutely protects the smaller states we are the united states of america we are not the east coast and west coast states and that's what it would be absolutely and so um do you think that that a place i mean just think about it super tuesday or the iowa caucus like none of that stuff matters if if the electoral college college doesn't exist and like you said everybody would absolutely campaign differently yep so to go back and say i beat them one no you, you didn't you, did, you can say this, and you say, hey, look, you, you, you had a PR, you threw for 400, four touchdowns, your team still lost. You know what I mean? At the end of the That's day, right. you still lost. And uh, and so it's just, and I think people are just, it, at some point, it really turns into just, you're, you're a sore loser, get over it. It didn't happen. Uh, but it's, it's but remarkable. She is it's unbelievably remarkable. a sore loser. And you know what? Look, uh, I think probably what keeps her up at night is you can say, Donald Trump ran a better campaign than you. Yeah. That's driver crazy. I mean, just that's kind of thing. She had the best of the best in her mind and couldn't get you to Pennsylvania, Michigan, Ohio. I mean, that you just that wasn't on the 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 to do list towards the end of the campaign. You just you know I, that's where I just you, you well, made I a know grave what, and fatal mistake, and that's the outcome. What uh, what town bought all of her fireworks so they could do their Fourth of July? She had, she had bought a ton. Oh, I'm sure. They had bought a ton. Yeah, they had that glass ceiling. Yeah. There was nothing better. And look, look, I absolutely think Didn't we happen. Were, I, th- I think we're ready for a, uh, for a female president. I think uh, it's going to come. The it right no- female right. president. It has nothing to do with that. I think it has everything to do with this entitlement that the Hillary Clinton and the Clinton, you know, just that, that family tree, if you will, uh, feel like, you know, it was a, it was deserved. She was entitled to it. And I truly believe, and look, it's sort of that whole that whole little uh, statement of attitude reflects leadership, right? And I think that her leadership was, I've got this. There's no way I'm losing to Donald Trump. And the leadership uh, and the attitude with the campaign manager and the strategist, grassroots, all those people also felt like they had it and they didn't have to work as hard. And what happened was they got outworked. Uh, they got out strategized and they lost to Donald Trump. And that's just the case. That's that is history, um, you know. And so I think they say that close only counts in horseshoes and hand grenades. So nuclear weapons and well, the nuclear you just drop that bad boy <laughs> in a general vicinity. Right. That's exactly right. So but no, it's uh, it just gets exhausting. The American people, I think Democrats are tired of it, too. It's like, OK, we, you lost. It is. Let's move on. How do we win now? And I would imagine that. 
Well, I, actually, I don't think it's a majority of Democrats because the majority of them actually support these issues and it shows in polling. But there are some Democrats out there that I, I got to believe that are just like, what is going on? Like, how how are we in sh- in the shape that we are right now? And there's a very strong feeling, I think, across the country that Donald Trump's going to win re-election because the Democrats are going to put someone like Elizabeth Warren out there in a general. Right now, that looks like that's a pretty good and. As Pick. a backup, if it if Joe Biden somehow limps into that general, he's going to get blistered. I mean, it is just set up for, and honestly, not saying, I mean, obviously, I hope the guy, it, it, you know, gets better and he lives for another 20 years, but old Bernie Sanders may day, die before he gets to the general election. So that's your speaking, top three. No, listen, speaking of Bernie Sanders, cut number two. Let me take this opportunity to thank people from all over the country uh, for their love their kind wishes, and I just can't tell you how much it has meant uh, to Jane and to me and to our whole family. Uh, And I also want to say that I am feeling great. Uh, I'm getting my endurance back, uh, and I look forward uh, to getting out on the campaign trail uh, as soon as possible. But let me relay to you just kind of an experience that I had lying in a hospital bed in Las Vegas after the heart attack. Listen closely. And I thought about a lot of things, needless to say, but one of the things that just went through my brain is what would have happened if I did not have uh, the good health insurance that I have. I have both Blue Cross and Blue Shield through my job in the Senate, and then I have Medicare as well. So what happens if somebody had no health insurance, who felt the pain in his or her chest, or felt really sick? and said to themselves, do I really want to go to the doctor or the hospital because I don't have tens of thousands of dollars to pay uh, for the medical bills that I'm going to incur. How many people are in that position? How many people have died because they don't get to the doctor or the hospital when they should? And it made me feel even more strongly the need for us to continue our efforts to end this dysfunctional and cruel healthcare system which leaves so many people, uninsured, underinsured, causes bankruptcy, lowers credit scores for people who owe medical debt. It is an insane, wasteful, bureaucratic system based on the greed of the healthcare industry. So I got to tell you that even as I sat and lied down in that hospital bed in Las Vegas, this issue of the struggle that we are engaged in just, you know, permeated my mind. And I want all of you to understand that the day is going to come when 20 years from now, 30 years from now, you're going to be talking to your kids and you're going to be talking to your grandchildren and looking back and say, you know what, I was involved in that struggle that finally brought health care to all Americans as a human right. That's what we're trying to do. So be proud of the efforts that we're making. Understand the enormous opposition that we're facing from the drug companies and the insurance companies. But we are going to win this struggle. History is on our side. Function of health care is quality care for all, not billions in profits for the drug companies and the insurance companies. And the other thing that I was thinking about as I lied in the hospital bed in Las Vegas is, yeah, I've had a rough week. I've suffered adversity, and that's true. And I don't wish anybody uh, to have a heart attack and get scared the way you know, our family did. But let me tell you, As you all know, I'm not the only person in America dealing with adversity. 
a lot of people dealing with a lot more pain than I am. I mean, right now as we speak, in the wealthiest country in the history of the world, you got a half a million people sleeping out on the streets of this country. Talk about adversity. What does that mean? To not know where you're going to be sleeping tomorrow night, not knowing if you can have food to eat. Talk about adversity is the mother that I met in Iowa. Makes ten bucks an hour, is raising three kids. How's that for adversity? Uh, talk about adversity is the fact that so many of our people in this country work so hard uh, and they're unable literally to pay their bills and they're scared to death that if their car breaks down they can't get to work. Worried if they're going to be able to pay their electric bills or their phone bill. That's adversity. And adversity is about young people in this country, bright young people who've done well in high school. They want to go to college. They want to get a decent education. They want to make it into the middle class. But you know what? Cue the violence, please. They're it's worth it because they're going to come out of college fifty dollars or $100,000 in debt. And some of them will never get that higher education that they really would like. That's adversity. And that's why together we are going to make public colleges and universities tuition free. We're going to cancel all student debt. So when we talk in our campaign about these ideas, these are not abstract ideas. These are not academic ideas. The issue of decent wages, the issue of health care for all, the issue of making public colleges and universities tuition free, canceling all student debt, dealing with climate change, dealing with criminal justice, immigration reform. These are the issues that touch tens and tens of millions of people. And just because they're not talked about much in Congress, a Congress which is largely owned by campaign contributors, not just because they're not talked about in the corporate media who try to deflect attention away from many of these enormously important issues. Our job is, despite all of that, is to stay focused on the real issues that impact the American people. And I know it's not easy, because this particular campaign, we're taking on everybody. We're not only taking on... No, yeah, Trump I can't take any more. I'm going to go out of my mind. Turn it off. Cue the violins. I'm just going to... He went on. I mean, he went on. Yeah. Yeah. I just and you know what? I, if you're a if you're a strategist for Bernie Sanders, you know, make your point about health care and call it a day. <laughs> I mean, then you start going down the list. The issue with this all, and I love how Democrats pull, try to pull on the heartstrings for all these different things. Here's the point: uh, Bernie Sanders, I agree. The health care system in in our country is broken. The insurance system in our country is broken. Things need to be fixed. His way of doing it is absolutely we'll break not it worse. the right answer to take <laughs> away your insurance, what you want. And we've all gone down this road before. We've heard President Obama use uh, the 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 words: "If you like your insurance, you can keep it." Yep. He is literally sitting up there on stage and at every campaign appearance before uh, his his heart attack, saying the government can do it better and you will not get the option of keeping your private no. health insurance. No. So whatever I he wants to, to say, we're going to take it away. Absolutely. So we can agree that, hey, healthcare system's broken, insurance system's broken, but his way of going about it would absolutely bankrupt this, bankrupt this country. And I don't think it would at all provide for better healthcare or more affordable healthcare or better access to healthcare. I think it would absolutely destroy the broken system we have now. Uh, I think we have to fix it. There's different ways to do it, but that's 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 the uh, that's what we got to read through all this stuff. He is a uh, he's a socialist. 
He can put whatever word he wants in front of it to make it a little better. Like democratic socialist, he's a socialist, and his way of wanting to do things is the wrong way for this country. Uh, and but that was just whew, man, that's, that's hard a, to listen to, isn't it? it? Especially when you get about two minutes in. Oh, he's still going. Okay, well. And I love that he sat there in that bed as a multimillionaire saying, and I'm, you know, I, I'm, uh, I'm not the only person going through something difficult right now. Yeah. You know, and I'm just like, Bernie, you're a presidential, I'm truly one of the three front runners of the presidential democratic primary. You're a multimillionaire. Well, Call I want to know how sick down. he is because I had two stents put in my own heart and the next day I was on the treadmill. That's because you're Dave Ellswick. <laughs> That's right. Superman wears his pajamas with pictures of Dave Ellswick. No, I'm just saying, I was out running on the treadmill the next day. No, I think it's. I think he's in. I think it's bad. I, mean, I think I, it's worse know, than what they're putting on. Sure. Well, I mean, the, he's the oldest candidate in the field. Uh, you know, by far, I think. Right. I mean, he's I think his, I think his his candidacy is toast. All right. We'll talk about it when we come back. J.R. Davis with us here on the Dave Ellswick Show. I'm going to tell you what, my good buddy, the Vice President of the United States, Mike Pence, Mike and I go back to the 90s together. We worked together uh, in Indianapolis when he was a talk show host and I was a talk show host, and we were both in the same building, right on the same floor. I was working at WIBC. He was working for the Indiana Radio Network and then came over to work at WIBC a little later on, and, uh, you know, we got to be good friends. I still hope. I got my fingers crossed, toes crossed. I can, I'm not crossing my eyes because I'm on Facebook Live, but bottom line is I tried to, uh, you know, hope to get him on the air here in, in the near future. But the, the, the vice president was out uh, talking about uh, the whole, ben, uh, I want to say Benghazi, the whole uh, Ukrainian deal, and uh, here's what he had to say. It's cut one. I never discussed uh, the issue of of uh, the issue of the Bidens with President oh, Zelensky, the and uh, aware of it, the I, uh, what I what I can tell you is that all of our discussions internally, between the president and our team, in our context, in my office with Ukraine, were entirely focused on the broader issues of the lack of European support but you're, you're and corruption. You hear the guy in the background not letting him really answer, but you are, you know, Homer Simpson in the background there doing his thing. Uh, Mike was just trying to answer the question. Vice President answered it for I never talked to Zelensky. There you got it. Talked with the president about it. All right. So now the Democrats are subpoenaing, put out a subpoena today for Energy Secretary Rick Perry. And uh, the two indicated uh, Giuliani associates demanding Ukraine records for the impeachment inquiry. I tell you, it's nothing but a fishing expedition at this point. This is why they keep it in in, an inquiry and and don't take a vote. There's two reasons. One, they can do what they're doing right now and go out and uh, subpoena all these records, read them, and they're hoping to find something that they don't know about. That's kind of how the FBI does things. You know, they go and they take your they take your uh, computers and stuff, and then they go through your computers and they go, aha, look at there. He's got a picture of his two-year-old little girl uh, naked on a bearskin rug. 
child pornographer. You know, they do things like that. But anyway, uh, you have you have that situation. The other one is is that they don't want to take the vote because you got all of these uh, con- you know, congressional uh, folks that won election two years ago in purple districts, and they don't want to have to go on record. They'll say that they'll vote for impeachment or they support impeachment, but they're not going to go vote for impeachment. And Pelosi knows that. And she doesn't want to, you know, make them commit kind of Harry Carey right there in front of everybody. So don't expect to see uh, the Democrats uh, have their vote any anytime, anytime soon. I've got the gun owners of America here. They have come in belly on up to the bar there, bud. And uh, Jordan, why don't you tell everybody who you are and why you're here. We told you why he was going to be here on Monday and Tuesday, and that today at 11 o'clock was a, a day for you to be out at the uh, Rotunda. 11 o'clock, they were going to uh, remember uh, Senator uh, Smith uh, for us, and then they were going to have him a big Second Amendment rally. Have a good turnout today? Yeah, it was it was excellent. Um, my name is Jordan Stein. I'm the director of communications for GOA, and uh, I was, had the blessing and the opportunity to come out here to Arkansas. My first time in the state, um, but I'm really enjoying. Where my are you time. from? I'm originally from North Carolina. Okay, well, so, that's cool. Yeah. You come out here and get some real barbecue. <laughs> I'll, I'll I'll fight you on that. <laughs> I know you would. I just uh, that's why I said it. Yeah. All right. So uh, you say we had a good turnout then? Yeah, I, I think they they counted up to about a hundred people there. Okay, well, that's good. That's good for a, an 11 o'clock start on a Thursday. Mm-hmm. Really, really is. So that, that's good. I'm glad, to, I'm glad to hear that. Glad that happened. I also invited a friend of mine, Ed Monk. Ed is my go-to guy on two-way issues, uh, Jordan, so you'll know. He's, he's firmly on our side, and uh, I invited him to come over and join us. How's it going today, bud? Uh, outstanding beautiful view thanks for having me on day did you go out did you go out and have lunch today uh, no i was too busy working i screamed up here at the last minute okay all right well that's cool we get together and have lunch a lot of times here in uh, in little rock okay so let, let's talk about something we got uh, about 20 minutes and then we got the next uh, hour as well let's start off by talking about what is what are I want to say is, are, what are the Democrats doing? Do you believe you're with the national organization that's fighting these people uh, to take away our, uh, our gun rights? Look, we play, we play Beto and we play Warren and we play Harris and we play Biden. And you, you go right down the list of them, Sanders and all of them. And they're all very much against the Second Amendment. Move up on that mic a little bit and tell us if you would. Uh, what's what do you think their game plan is? Well, I think their game plan is gun confiscation. But for whatever reason, now um, now they're being vocal about it, and and I think why uh, do you think that is? Do you think do they really think America's suddenly changed in the way they see guns? N- no, I, I think Beto perhaps slipped up a little bit. And, and I've seen reports where other 
uh, like senators saying now Beto has made our job of making a deal on guns, a, a, a gun control compromise, much more difficult because he, they pulled it all to the left. I, I think Beto just exposed their their game plan and, their, and tipped their hand to what it was. Cause you, so you're saying when he said, I'm, yeah, we're going to come and take your AR-15s. We're going to come and get your, your AKs. You think that when he did that, all the other Democrats said, well, yeah, Beto, that's what we wanted to do, but now we can't do it. Yeah. You think that's what happened? Yeah. I mean, I, I think back to Obama, and this is something I touched on in my speech today. He didn't really campaign on guns in 2008. He was, for the most part, silent. And we all know he's a gun grabber, but he didn't do it, and he won. And then you look at Hillary in 2016. Her platform was Australian gun confiscation. Mm-hmm. You know, And thankfully, she lost. Okay, so I want you to talk about something here because this is something I've been telling uh, my listeners, and they have to under you have to understand this. And Ed, you jump in on this because you and I have talked about this, and that is the uh, the 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 uh, buyback program in Australia. Everybody says, "What's the big deal? The people could bring them; they don't have to bring them." Wrong. Let you talk about that. Go. Well, first of all, it's not a buyback. The, the government never owned your guns in the first place, so they can't take them back. <laughs> um, and, and then I would say to that, you know, there has been, sadly, you know, mass shootings in Australia. I think there was one a, a few months ago. Um, and a lot of their crime reports have actually been underinflated and, and deceptive. Um, and, you know... I guess it all goes back to, um, like I said, you own your guns. The government can't buy them back. And and do you think a criminal is going to go turn his guns in? No. I, I've, you, there's YouTube video upon YouTube video of you know machine guns made in Australia, and you, they're made of uh, parts from the local hardware store. You know, criminals don't care about the law, but they care about being criminals, and that's why we need guns to protect ourselves. Yeah, and and then. There's a word that everybody seems to ignore. And Ed, mandatory. Mandatory buyback programs. That sounds like gun confiscation to me. It's, it's confiscation with a little reward of a check. <laughs> and the check they're going to pay you is money you were taxed for. So they're going to take your tax money, turn around and give you a little bit of that back in order to rape you of your rights. And a lot of people will... I, Unfortunately, uh, a lot of gun owners, if that happens, would would say, "Wow, look what I got! Look at look at how much I got!" Instead of they raped me of my rights, we have to do something. Yeah, that, so, that's amazing. Go ahead. Are y'all familiar with the bump stock situation? Oh yeah. So so sadly, Trump moved to ban bump stocks, and uh, I believe a FOA request came out to see how many bump stocks were actually turned in, and there was estimated that there were five hundred thousand bump stocks in circulation. Well. Uh, the the report came out that there were about 500 bump stocks turned into federal authorities. So that's like less than one-tenth of one percent. Like, people who are not going to just go in and give their guns up. Yeah. I, it, it amazes me that people think laws, in some way, are going to stop some of this violence that has been going on. I say we have more violence because... We got a whole lot more people now than we used to have. Got over what? Over three hundred million people here in the United States now. Well, over three hundred, yeah. Yeah. So you know, you take that if if you only got like one or two percent of them, 
you know, going, you know, crazy. I'm sorry for you who don't want me to say it that way, but I don't know any other way. Mentally deranged or whatever, uh, 2% of 300,000 is significant. Well, I, personally, I think there needs to be a discussion before that discussion. You know, we'll, we'll fill in the blank with whatever kind of gun control you want. Will it reduce crime? Let's Let's say... You, we could prove to everybody, including you and I, that if we passed fill-in-the-blank gun control, it would, in fact, save lives. I don't care. Um, if we let the cops randomly search any house they wanted to without a warrant, that I guarantee you that would save lives. The cops would catch some things that right now they can't catch because of the restrictions of the Fourth Amendment. But that's because the founders thought, and I support, that freedom is more important than just crime control. I don't think gun control would reduce crime. But even if you could convince me it would, there's no need in having that discussion because the Second Amendment says you can't do it anyway. Even if it would decrease crime by 50%, the Second Amendment outright prohibits it. So to me, it's a waste of time discussing whether we should have certain types of gun control legislation because maybe it will, maybe it won't reduce crime. The Second Amendment says it won't. Uh, again, if cops could go and search every car, every house, every internet, every phone, anytime they wanted to without a warrant, I guarantee you that would reduce some crime. It would catch some criminals we're not now catching. But we don't want to live in a society like that. We don't want, we Most want people to, don't want yeah, to live yeah. in that society. Well, I think that's the problem. You know, we talk about these politicians. The politicians are not the problem. We're the problem. The politicians are the symptom. You know, if you've got some kind of sickness inside you that causes sores to come up on your arms yeah i can see the sores and the sores are a problem but they're just the symptom of the sickness that you have inside of you and that's it's not pelosi's fault it's not obama's fault they're just the symptoms of us as americans more and more and more willing to give up our rights um what you were describing and i was actually talking about this with with sheriff brown earlier today is it a police state? And I, for one, do not want to live in a police state. No. <laughs> I like the messiness of freedom. That's what Jefferson but, said. But the beautiful thing about the Second Amendment and, and armed citizenry is that when we have people carrying guns, we're actually safer. You know, uh, you look at the FBI crime stats, crime has been steadily decreasing over several decades. And we have more people owning and carrying guns now than we have ever before. There's over 18 million concealed carry permit holders out there. You know, we're definitely have an armed citizenry, and we're we're getting safer. All right, we're going to take a break. Got to get that in. It's twelve minutes till four. Stick around. We got another guest that looks like she's going to be joining us in just a moment. She's another two A supporter. I I just love talking about freedom. Like I said, I'm like Jefferson. Jefferson said, you know, I love the messiness of freedom. You know, he he didn't want the how did, I forget how exactly he p- put slavery. But, you know, things can be all laid out and everything taken care of and everything about your life is fine except that you're a slave. I don't want to be a slave. I'd much rather be a free man. A whole bunch of people having freedom to choose whatever they want. Yeah. With, unless they're violating the rights of others. That's, that's a very unpredictable messiness, but it's beautiful. Yeah, it is. All right, let's come back. We'll talk more about it in just a moment on the Dave Ellswick Show. All right, back here on the Dave Ellswick Show uh, we are right here downtown in Little Rock. Good to have you along with us. We got uh, Jordan here from GOA. That's the Gun Owners of America. You all have uh, grown over the last few years. How many years now has it been? 
Well, we've been around uh, for 45 years, but we have grown tremendously in the past few. Yeah, it's it's been. I've had GOA on uh, several times, and Im- impressed with Gerald's work. Uh, Chris Ann is with us today too. Hallelujah! She has come in, and uh, you may remember her when she came through Arkansas a couple months ago. Uh, I know locally, Jan Morgan had her at the Gun Cave over there, as I call it. That's her Bat Cave, and uh, that place is yeah, awesome. Yeah, Chris Ann Hall was over there. She is a constitutional expert that's the way it's been put to me is that correct well i like it and i study it and i teach it (laughs) good um i don't know if i'm an expert i even practiced the law for a while Uh um mostly first amendment issues but i was a prosecutor for the state of florida for a little over a decade so i love that you love the first amendment because that's something when it comes to second amendment that's my second most important amendment. The First Amendment yeah. is my f- that's first the, the amendment. contention, and I think that's because maybe we're just not taught properly. Yeah, yeah. A lot of people in America, you know, that the the saying is the Second Amendment protects the rest, but that's mm-hmm. not really the case. They are in a particular order for a particular purpose. Um, the First Amendment is the most important because it is the one that protects the conscience and the speech. And um, the way human nature and the mind in government works is that when the government can control your speech, it can control your mind. And when the government controls your mind, then you place the, the, the shackles of servitude on yourself. And that's the worst form of slavery that you can find is the self-imposed one because mm-hmm. they're, they're, they're actually um, invisible shackles. And I give a, an analogy. Do you remember Ruby Ridge? Oh, yeah. I had Weaver on my show a lot. Okay, so then you also remember what happened in Nevada with Cliven Bundy, right? Yes, I do. Okay, so think about this from a liberty rights perspective. Both of those situations were based on the exact same issues for the federal government. It was a property rights issue for both of them. And uh, if you recognize, they both had guns, right? Mm -hmm. But the Weaver circumstance, quite unfortunately, ended quite differently than the Clyde and Bundy thing. And the difference was not the presence of guns. The difference was the presence of the power of the of communication and so the thing that weaver didn't have is the thing that cliven did have and that was the power to communicate with the entire country and to call people in as a community and so when we lose that power to communicate it is most literally you and the enemy you know fighting and then the one with the most might wins but with the power to communicate freedom of speech freedom of press to peaceably assemble to petition the government for a redress of your grievances you never stand alone and so that's why the first amendment is first yeah nobody heard from randy until after yeah what happened right. with his wife because nobody had cell phones you know what i mean we didn't have internet we didn't have that communication that's right. and so that's why this is so important which is is sometimes you know i think that obviously not diminishing in any way shape or form the right to keep and bear arms it is an essential natural right which is another thing that people really have a hard time comprehending uh, your right to keep and bear arms is not a second amendment right it doesn't come from the constitution no, it comes from god it's a it's an extension of the first law of nature 
a duty of self-preservation. And all of these things work together. That's why we have the Bill of Rights and they're all there because without one, they're all gone. Okay, I got just a couple of minutes here. Let me ask you to talk on something that Chris Hanforce. A lot of people think that the Constitution, you know, uh, gave you your rights. And that's not true. What the Constitution is, is that's the government supposed to protect the rights that you already have. Correct? The uh, Well, we hold these truths to be self-evident that all men are created equal and endowed by their creator with certain inalienable rights. Thank you. Uh, Samuel Adams wrote in 1772, among the rights of the colonists are these first liberty, natural rights, first liberty, uh, second uh, life, liberty, property, and the right to protect and defend them. So the right to protect and defend is an exercise of your right to live. And so we don't have constitutional rights. People say that all the time. And that's why people think that our rights come from the Constitution, because we use those words mm-hmm. inappropriately. The Constitution is is the product of our rights. Our rights precede the Constitution. And, and the so Constitution why- was written to say with the, that, uh, hey, government, you're supposed to make sure that no one tries to take these rights away, correct? Uh, Kind of. The Constitution was written so the people would be on notice of the limits of government, so the people would keep the government in check. The Constitution was not written uh, to with the reliance on government to check itself. The Constitution is actually in writing to to uh, aid the people in limiting and defining their own government. See, the, what we have is a constitutional republic where the people are right. supposed to be in charge of their government, not the government governing itself. All right. We'll come back. We'll talk more. Ed, you got to be loving this, man, because this is stuff that you teach all the time. Yep, right up my alley. Jump right on in. Both feet, you too, George. We're going to talk about freedom and the Second Amendment and all those things for you when we come back. It's Dave Ellswick Show here at 1011 FM, The Answer. Dave Ellswick Show. I want to talk about, real quickly, before we get back to Second Amendment, what I was just talking to you about, Chris Ann. Mm-hmm. president signed two executive orders yesterday. Yes. Which uh, said to uh, agencies, government agencies, the bureau rats that are, I don't call them bureaucrats, I call them bureau rats, <laughs> that, are, that are out there in Washington, D.C. And, Ed, are you familiar with the terminology major guidance document? Not specifically, but... Okay, so here's what it may let me let me just give you something that happened to this guy. All right, he's a rancher. His daughter says to him, Dad, I want to raise some horses. He says, Okay. 
But to raise horse, we need a stock pond. So he goes to the uh, through the legal channels he's got to go through, gets himself a permit. He gets it from the Army Corps of Engineers and from the state. Yeah, so he gets it, and he builds his uh, he builds his stock pond, and then all of a sudden the EPA shows up, and the EPA says, "No, you can't have that." And if you don't fill it in, you don't get rid of it. We're gonna we're gonna uh, hit you for thirty two thousand five hundred dollars in fines every single day. You don't fill it in. Well, this guy is a rancher. He bows up, of course, and he takes on the EPA. Now it's only been recently that you can sue the EPA. So uh, he got <laughs> he got he got into a big fight with him. Well, well, the Pacific Legal Foundation got involved and to help him out. And by the time they had gotten involved, the fines that the EPA had levied against this guy had reached $16 million. $16 million. Because the EPA, in one of these uh, major guidance documents that aren't really published for the average American see, see, the average guy hit Mr. Anderson, did what he was supposed to do. But the EPA said, no, I got, we got the guidance document that says you can't do that. How, how many people did that pond kill? Well, nobody. But oh, here, nobody. No, but the EPA said that we oh, believe. Yeah, well, the EPA said we believe that sometime in the future it may damage a, a river that is six miles away. Yeah. Yeah. And so anyway, uh, when the Pacific Legal Foundation got involved, they won against the EPA. The EPA dropped the charges, blah, 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 blah. Well, he was at the White House yesterday. It just amazes me that our congressman, our representatives, and our senators who are supposed to be making these laws, you know, it, it took a presidential executive order. Now, that could be changed, just so you know. Another president come along and change it. Uh, it needs to be put in concrete that these people can't be writing these guidance documents that are in complete reversal of what the law says. Yeah, so t- uh, the two executive orders that he wrote are called the Transparency and Fairness Executive Order and the uh, Bringing Guidance Out of the Darkness Executive Order. So you can go to the White House webpage and find all the executive orders that he's written. But it's really interesting because the executive orders have been for decades used in an unlawful and unconstitutional way by well, like practically every single president uh, in the last 50 years. But in this case, these particular executive orders are actually constitutionally correct because the purpose of an executive order is for the executive branch to give guidance and direction to uh, the executive of the executive branch to give guidance and direction to the agencies of the executive branch. Mm-hmm. And that's exactly what he's doing. And that's that's a power of the president uh, by abdication so we need to what we talked about today at the state capitol was there really is no constitutional authority for a bureau of land management on the federal level or the epa or the department of interior or the department of agriculture or any of them they their power is reserved to the states. so you can have an epa in the in arkansas sure but you can't have a federal epa and so it's really encouraging to me that the president would do this now, the more lawful and more correct way for this to be done 
would be for the governors to stand up and tell the federal government, you have no authority in my state here in that. And so that's what we are trying to do. And that's why I was brought to Arkansas this week was to give the education. Uh, We were in the Capitol Rotunda. That was really exciting. I think a lot of people heard us that didn't want to hear us. Pretty place, isn't it? It's very pretty, but it was also very loud, and we were in the middle of the rotunda, and we carried throughout the entire building, and so I'm pretty sure some people who didn't want to hear us had to hear us anyway, and so I'm just happy that that truth made through the airways, and the power that the people have is just so enormous, and it just even makes it more frustrating to know how much power we have, but we've been deceived for so long that we simply don't even recognize what we have. It's like it's like having a flat tire and sitting on the side of the road for three hours and somebody comes to help you and you say, you know, I got a flat tire. And the person says, well, do you have a spare? And you say, yeah. Well, where is it? It's in the trunk. Okay, so why didn't you change your tire? You had a, a spare for three hours. You had the solution to your problem the whole time and you never used it because you didn't even know it was there. Or you didn't know how to change it. Yeah. <laughs> Can you imagine the laughter that might erupt at the Constitutional Convention if the delegates were asked, hey, this this new government you're in this room trying to form and you're going to try to get the states to ratify, will, will this new government you're forming in this Constitution, can it prevent some farmer from digging a pond on his land? And the laughter that would erupt from that. But that's exactly what happened. And just think of what, what it, it, that that legal foundation that you cited that eventually successfully fought it. What if they wouldn't exist it? Mm-hmm. Well, what's interesting is the conversation I- actually did come up during the convention because the anti-federalists were very, very concerned that the Constitution uh, was vesting in the federal government power that would, power. over the years, allow them to accumulate through interpretation and false application. And that's that's particularly why James Madison wrote Federalist Paper 45, to reassure them, you know, we wrote this so that if we follow the Constitution, what your fear is will not happen. And they, you know, they were, we, the Constitution is in writing so that we know we have to follow it because they had, you know, kings and stuff who didn't follow things. And so we have this document in writing. If you follow it, this can't happen. And so we have to know now the problem is not the Constitution. The problem is that we're not following it. All right. So, you know, we can take this into the Second Amendment or into the Tenth Amendment or whatever. How have we gotten so far off from what the founders wanted? Education. Yeah, ignorance, apathy, and some people are fully aware of what's going on, but that's what they want. So they just keep pushing that direction, and uh, far too many people just through ignorance and apathy. They, they I think the apathy is the, the product of the ignorance. They actually, can tell so. you the name of every single person that starts on their favorite baseball team, basketball team. They can't tell you their congressman. They can't tell you one mm-hmm. person on the Supreme Court. So they have chosen priorities, and it's recreation and day-to-day stuff versus... Uh, what really matters. Uh, go ahead. I'll add one more thing. <laughs> it, compromise. You look at gun rights, and you go back to 1934 with the National Firearms Act. That was restricting machine guns and short-billed rifles, and sure, take those away. 1935, and, right? I think it's 34. 34. 34? Was yeah, it 34? With the NFA. Act? Okay. Um, and then you look at the other Gun Controls Act and the Hughes Amendment, and then we had the assault weapons ban in the 90s, and 
they with with gun rights, it was chipped away little by little. And I, I, for one, I'm done compromising. I want to repeal the NFA and uh, and go back to what the the Second Amendment I think really. Well, means. we should eliminate the ATF altogether, and yeah. then you don't even have to repeal anything. I mean, it's just ridiculous. Samuel Adams said, "No people will tamely surrender their liberties, nor be easily subdued when knowledge is diffused and virtue is preserved." He said, on the contrary, when the people become universally ignorant and debauched in their manners, they will sink underneath their own weight without the aid of foreign invaders. Everything begins and ends with education, and that's why we are where we are today, because some very, very uh, wise but uh, wicked people in the mid-1800s decided to take over the American education system. And in doing so, um, oh, well, actually it began in, 18, in uh, 1833. We changed the way we taught the Constitution. I mean, oh, practically overnight from a, uh, a confederation of states built constitutional republic to a consolidation of states federal supremacy uh paradigm and and now we're in a situation where we have 176 years of education that has convinced people of things that simply aren't true and so that's where the compromise comes from you know oh i it's a second amendment right no it's not but if you believe that it's a Second Amendment right, then you believe that government, that the documents gave it to you, and that means that the government can regulate it. We, we have to get back to reorganizing our speech and the way we talk and the way we educate so we start speaking truth instead of compromising in speech to just, you know, get along with people. And the marketing of the other side is very good, that, go, that works very well with our apathy and our ignorance, the, the compromise. You can be made to seem unreasonable. Well, you won't even compromise on this. Well, certain things should not be compromised. Mm-hmm. If I have a yard sale and I have a lamp out there for $10, you can say, hey, I'll give you five. I'll say, I'll take seven. We compromise. I wanted to get rid of the lamp. You wanted the lamp. We just have to compromise. The, the federal government has the authority to, to print money. Uh, so I want yellow money you want green money we can compromise on blue that power exists we can compromise but if you if i have three kids and you want to take all my kids i don't say well how about how about if i just give you one i mean there, there's no compromise there um if they I want might to have ban, done that sometimes when if I the was federal government eight. wants to ban five religions we don't say well would you be happy if you just banned two of them no you can't have any there's just no compromise there and it's the same thing with the second amendment the second amendment's not any you know, we're not holding it up higher. It's just mm-hmm. so not compromising on things that should not be compromised on is totally reasonable. But well, still, you'll have people say, well, come on, you should compromise. No, not on things that I have a right to. Well, there are uh, there's a certain understanding that our founders had, I think, that we've lost, is that these things are natural rights. Yeah. So they simply cannot be compromised. Not that I'm not able to compromise them. It's impossible to compromise them. You either have them or you do not. Uh, There are some of our founders who would have been very adamant and tell you, you can't even surrender them because they are yours naturally. It would be like saying, can I give my breath away? You can't give your heartbeat away. You can't give your breath away. These are the things that are part of you. And so because of the inherent nature, I mean, we're born with them. They're not bestowed upon us. We can't even surrender them. So the only way to have them lost is that they are violently stripped from us or we relinquish their presence by uh, through ignorance. All right. Let's take a break. We're going to come back. We're going to talk more. Uh, 
we've got uh, Jordan Stein, correct? S-T-E-I-N? That's me. I got you right. From Gun Owners of America. Yep. All right. Chris Han is with us, and uh, she Hall is here, and she... She doesn't want to be called a constitutional scholar, but that's what. It, <laughs> but that's what everybody says to me when they talk. Your name says that, and then it follows constitutional scholar. And I and think then I the would Southern agree. Poverty Law Center gets really annoyed by that. So maybe I should just adopt that. <laughs> well, that's good. I'm know, glad they right? get annoyed by it. <laughs> they hate and me. And then Ed Monk is here. Ed is my go-to guy on two uh, A and uh, a lot of things constitutional. He uh, is a former history instructor. He is a former military man he was in the uh, first gulf war is that correct no iraqi freedom no iraqi freedom oh i forgot about that you were in the second gulf war yeah all right we'll we'll talk with all of them when we come back here on the dave ellswick show 24 minutes after four let's get back to our our uh, discussion i want to bring up paul calvert you know paul and and chris and i'm sure if you were over in the rotunda this big tall guy came up and talked to you had the Old Testament beard. Yes, <laughs> yes, he did. See, it does. It doesn't take me long to explain to people what he looks like, and everybody says, "Yeah, yeah." Uh, I call him my Old Testament prophet, and uh, he's on my show every Tuesday mm-hmm. with Jan Morgan and and R. G. Hopper. But uh, he, something that drives him crazy is precedent, and I understand why it drives him crazy because with the Supreme Court with judges when you talk precedent many times they'll say well precedent literally even if it takes you away from the original meaning Mm -hmm. of what the constitution says overrides the original meaning that's why i always say i want an originalist as a supreme court justice not a you know a living document kind of guy or kind of woman like uh, ruth bader ginsburg who they've made into a hero now but the bottom (laughs) you know the bottom and she i'm Look, this is the woman who said that if she had to pick a constitution, it'd be South Africa's constitution. She didn't pick the American constitution. She should have been impeached for that statement, by the way. Just just incredible to me. But let's go back. How do we destroy that whole thought process that just because this generation thinks that the the, uh, original founders meant this, that it somehow takes precedent over what the original founders meant? I mean, it's well, I think we can obvious. begin by by just simply acknowledging that they don't even consider what the original uh, drafters of the Constitution said and meant. And what's interesting is, you know, this we live in a society where truth is no longer absolute and opinions are actually truth and nobody knows what the truth is anymore. And wow, so I did a whole show on that. Oh, that would, have, that would have been fantastic. <laughs> but the but the bottom line is this, and I'm sure the the two distinguished gentlemen here with me will, will agree. You will as well. Um, you don't have to divine or guess what the drafters of the Constitution meant nope. because they wrote it down. Yep. They wrote it down specifically and explicitly. They wrote reams and reams and reams about the right to keep and bear arms alone. Mm-hmm. And there is no question about what they meant. So the idea that, you know, we can we need to discover what they mean. And I had a law professor tell me one time, well, you know, you know, we can't really know what they meant, you know, it was so long ago. And and I said, how can you even say that? It's it's still in writing. As a matter of fact, it's on your cell phone right now. You can know what they meant because they wrote it down and they meant what they wrote. 
And so you have this whole postmodern deconstruction of truth, which leads people into this, well, where no we are truth. today. No, no truth. truth. You know, people say truth is relative. No, it's truth or it's not truth. Well, it's either or. It's not maybe. There's a quote I was trying to find here, but I used to have, I have it somewhere by Thomas Jefferson where he says, if you want to know what we were thinking, then simply, like she said, simply come back and read what we wrote. It's pretty clear. But don't try to twist the meaning mm-hmm. into what you want. And that's what people do now. They say, okay, what, what result do you want? What do you want the courts to say? What do you want policy to be? Okay. Then backwards, try to reason. It's kind of like, you know, a, a criminal trial court. I want my client to be found innocent. That's the result I want. So then I try to backwards use the law to get to the result I want. And the founder said, no, just simply start with the Constitution and then use facts and reasoning to go forward to say whether it's allowed or whether it's not. It's, a, it's not an emotional thing. It's a technician thing, simply yes or no. And I, I really admire judges that come to decisions that are against what they want, but they say clearly this is what the law says is allowed or prohibited or whatever. So they just simply read it as a technician, not as an emotional. And so when I used to teach it in high school, I would use the Eighth Amendment, a cruel and unusual punishment, mm-hmm. as, a, as an example. Uh, do you use the term cruel and unusual? Do you interpret it how the people who wrote it would have interpreted it? Or do you take the words they wrote hundreds of years ago and interpret it through what you want today? And that, that to me, was the best way I could explain the difference. Well, I think if anybody, if, if there's the slightest bit of discomfort, either mentally or physical, that's cruel and unusual. Well, you're using 100-year-old words but putting your desires in it. Yeah, 21st century yeah. desires. Mm-hmm. If you, if you don't like what they wrote, then, then we've done it. Just play by the rule book. If you know, they didn't mandate that females be allowed to vote, they didn't. We decided we wanted to do that. So we amended the Constitution. That's we correct. just didn't That's- interpret it and say, well, now because of the way we want it, we will interpret it a different way. Well, the difference was back then they believed that voting qualification was a state right issue and not a federal government issue. And we get to the point where we have to look in history. I mean, modernizing this issue, uh, we bring forth all these uh, mistruths and arguments. The Women voted in America prior to the 19th Amendment. And as a matter of fact, every state in the union Uh, codified the right of the women to vote before the 19th Amendment was even ratified. Oh, no. There's some truth for you. Deal with it. it, Yeah. Well, and if you read the 19th Amendment, it doesn't... I've got to have you hold. Okay. Got to take a break. News is next. All right. She had her headphone on. Couldn't hear me. Anytime you come through the area, you have a microphone. Thank you. Come by and and visit with me, please. Because I love when people come here and talk about the truth. Yes, yes. That's what this show is all about. Same with you, Jordan. You're first time struggling. being here. I'm, I'm happy to be here. <laughs> he was all, you should have heard him first time. I just called him up out of nowhere. Somebody gave me his number. I called him. He goes, hello. I go, hey, this is Dave Ellsworth. Why don't you come on my show? Because uh. <laughs> he had no idea who I was. I'm glad you came in today. Happy to be here. Feel free to take your shot at the punching bag, too, before you leave. Oh, sweet. You're always uh, happy sweet. to do that. Ed, it's always a pleasure to have you here. So I got 24 minutes. So now, now, well, I got you three here. We can spend about a half hour. Can we get three life-size cutouts of us and standing them in the corner? If you have them made, I'll be happy to put them up here in the studio. All right. 
because you're real conservatives. But we'll be happy. Uh, I want to talk about the Second Amendment. All right? So, Chris Ann, Second Amendment. But I thought that had to do with, uh, you know, uh, militias and stuff. People do believe that still. It's grammar. It really is. We have difficulty with grammar. We don't teach grammar. We don't diagram sentences anymore. We don't understand grammar. God, I used to hate doing that. And uh, yeah, and so <laughs> if you if you understand grammar, I mean, I'm not a fan of of the rules of grammar, but you have to you have to know grammar if you're going to understand things that are written. And I'm I have I have the joy of living with a grammarian. My husband is a is a you know one of those grammar police and he helps me. He's a so grammar Nazi. Gra- well, I wasn't going to say that, <laughs> but uh, that's okay. But here it is. Okay, the yeah. well-regulated militia, okay. comma, being necessary for the security of the free state, the right of the people to keep and bear arms shall not be infringed. Okay, right. I understand. We don't speak like that. We don't write like that anymore. But grammatically speaking, the subject of that sentence is the right of the people. The right of the people to keep and bear arms is the component of the well-regulated militia, which is necessary for the security of the free state. So the right of the people to keep and bear arms, this is our, this is our subject. Okay. And their right, the, their necessity to keep the free state is essential in the militia. Now, what do we get wrong? Because here's the government. Government attorneys write their briefs and they say, well, well-regulated militia. They must mean the government militia because everybody knows nobody regulates as well as the government. <laughs> right? No, that it's funny. Those are actually legal arguments, right? Correct. But Noah Webster said that the whole body of the people is to bear arms because we are to out-arm the government. He said the government no, Matt, he said the, the force at the command of Congress can execute no law contrary to the Constitution because the whole body of the people will will bear arms and will constitute a force superior to any band of regular troops that Congress can even try to raise. Uh, uh, George Mason. George Mason said that um, that. He was quoting a governor from Pennsylvania said that to enslave the people, the best way to do that was to disarm the people, but not to do it openly. You need to weaken them and let them sink gradually. The whole body of the people must be armed. My favorite is Richard Henry Lee. He said, whereas it is essential for the whole body of the people to always possess arms. Now, if something is essential, can you do without it? No. If you're always doing something, is there ever a moment when you're not doing it? No. And so we, Richard Henry Lee was simply telling us that if we're not packing every single day, we're not preserving liberty. And here's the distinction that he said. The mind that aims at a select militia is one that is contrary to a Republican form of government. And whenever the people see A person, a man, he said, gravitating to that mindset, we must hold him suspect and know that he is not for liberty. Now, my favorite guy was Knox, the first secretary of war. You know, everybody (laughs) says, you know, oh, Dave, do you think you should be able to have a bazooka? Yes. I mean, Knox, he put cannon on his front yard. 
after the war. <laughs> well, the battles of Lexington and Concord yeah. were because the British regulars were going to Concord, not not to confiscate muskets, no. but to confiscate cannons that yeah. they had rightfully heard through intelligence that the militia in Concord had. And when, I, when I've taught this and spoke on this, people say, well, what is it, you know, I'm confused. Is it a militia thing or is it a individual people with yes. gun things? And my, yeah. my answer is yes. Because, again, <laughs> if you go back and read what the founders wrote, it was extremely clear that the militia they were talking about was every able-bodied man. She, she brought mm-hmm. up uh, Richard Henry Lee. It's I, the people. Yeah. Uh, Richard Henry Lee said a militia, when properly formed, are in fact the people themselves and include all men capable of bearing arms. And she, she alluded to this one. To preserve liberty, it is essential that the whole body of the people always possess arms and be taught, get ready for this, Dave, and be taught alike, especially when young, how to use them. Just think of the quivering shakes that's causing with people out there. That a founding father said, we must teach our young people about guns and how, how to do My shoot. son's been shooting since he was three. Yeah. And for I, him. The third one from him is, such are a well-regulated militia composed of the freeholders, citizens, and husbandmen who take up arms to preserve their property as individuals and their rights as freemen. If, and this not just, didn't cherry pick one guy here. If you go back to all the founders, they were all in agreement of the importance of everyone. And then if you look, uh, the, the Second Amendment was ratified in 1791, the Militia Act of 1792, less than a year after the same Congress that proposed the Second Amendment and said militia, that within a year, they passed the Militia Act, which defined the militia as every able-bodied man, and required them to be privately armed, to furnish themselves with their own weapons. Wow, it sounded like Switzerland. So off track here, when people would say there's nothing in the Constitution uh, that that gives the federal government the authority to require people to buy something, you know, which was the Obama court thing. And I say, well, not in the Constitution, but I think I can make an argument the founders did think they had the authority to require you to buy guns because they well, wrote it in the Militia Act of 1792. They would, they would, that would be a power that is reserved to the states to do that because that was always done on the state level. Because remember, the government with the power to require us to buy is also the government that can require us to not to buy. And so the power given in the positive is easily turned into a power given in the negative. And so, so that would be an that's expansion why Jefferson of power. Said, you have a government big enough to give you everything. Exactly. It's big enough to take exactly. everything away. Exactly. And that power was clearly to be left within the states. And and so we have to make sure that this is not something, you know, in that we we hand over to the federal government. And that's what's happening. Right. Because yeah, you we're have giving people... away our rights. Yeah. Yeah. And when again, the founders would say you can't give them away, but we are we are letting them slip through the fingers of our future. Yeah, and don't look to have them back. Right. Uh, Samuel Adams up. said, nope. Uh, when we when we tamely suffer a lawless attack upon our liberty, we encourage it. And we involve others in our doom. He said, it's uh, it's a situation that should weigh heavy upon our hearts that ages and millions yet unborn will be the miserable sharers of our experience. What we do today is internal, and especially with our rights and our liberties. And that's one thing that I think we need to really grasp a hold of. Well, that's something that we talk about on my show. And I'm going to come back to you, Jordan, because you made uh, mention of something during the break that I want you to bring up. And that is this. Look, I'm I'm 66. All right, I'm probably the, I'm I know I'm the youngest here in this room. Clearly, <laughs> Zach, my producer just fell down laughing. Um, yeah, I'm the oldest here. Well, I'm 78 in tanker years. Yeah, here's here's that. what I want. Here's the point that I want to make. 
when I was a kid, I can tell you I could do a million different things that your children today can't do Mm because it's illegal. Yeah, absolutely. And they're missing out. Mm -hmm. (laughs) They're just missing out. I mean, seriously, even if they never did it, that they had the right to do it. Yeah. That's the thing. Well, see, that's the definition of liberty. I think I heard you talk about, one of you talked about that before, is that um, our founders knew, and this is a fact, that liberty has no bounds except that you cannot harm or control the right of another. So I should be able to do whatever is in my ability to do to the extent that I don't bump off their liberty somewhere Mm -hmm. or I don't infringe upon your liberty somewhere. I, I should have the right to keep and bear arms. As as much and as as frequently and as abundantly as I want, but I don't have the right to force you to do that. I don't have the right to prevent you from doing that That's either. Correct. So liberty means the least government prop. Uh, possible uh, in order to maintain the security of the rights of the people. And I always tell people the greatest gift our government, our, our founders gave us, was not independence from Great Britain, but the ability to self-govern. And I think the biggest condemnation that we have today is our refusal to self-govern because so many times, even conservative aspects, people run to government to make laws to fix problems. But laws don't stop crimes. Nope. So we have to understand that that the only thing that stops people from doing bad things is a conscience to control themselves. And we have to get back to self-governing. And I I meet gun owners, unfortunately, throughout my life that that fit in that situation. Mm -hmm. Well, assault weapons ban. Well, you know, I I don't want them. I don't really see why anybody should have anything. Why don't they call them them the scary guns? I'm not prison. Why don't they they call them assault guns? They should call them scary guns because there's no such thing as assault gun anyway. I'm not Presbyterian, but if the government goes to close down Presbyterian churches, I'm not going to go, well, you know, I like Presbyterian. No, I'll be on the first people on the steps of that church see my my fear and my sadness is i don't think that many people would and I, my whole life uh with this gun thing is people like well I, I don't see a problem with a background check well then you're not looking at it as a right you're looking yeah. at it as this, mm-hmm. you'll take whatever the government allows you a to privilege. have that's not a right when and you, you have believe, to be screened by yeah. the government before you exercise a right you don't have a right that is not a right it's yeah so why do right. i have to ask the government permission for when where and how i can carry when the government is the reason that i carry oh very good See, that whole logic thing, that, that really gets the left See, I, upset. I, I really get, I, I sometimes get beaten up by both sides because I'm, I'm a liberty extremist. I really am because I would not only stand on the steps of a Presbyterian church, but I would stand on the steps of the mosque as well. Yeah, so would I. So, I agree uh, with but, that. But you know, you and I w- would get rotten tomatoes thrown at us by the conservatives. Yeah, probably that, so. so. Some conservative. Well, I'm a conservative, if but you, I mean, if you I'm go back to Lexington I'm a constitutionalist. and Concord, okay. <laughs> as, as the British were heading towards Concord, and Paul Revere and the other writers were out spreading the news all over the place, there were people who got up, and this was early in the morning, there were people that got out of their cold April morning beds in Massachusetts and walked in the darkness, armed themselves, and walked 12 miles through the woods to go to another town that many of them had never been to before, but because the British government was going there to violate the rights of the people in Concord that they had never met before, but they weren't putting up with that. And today, uh, the even more egregious violations of our rights, people just watch on Facebook or watch on the news and don't say anything or maybe gripe on Facebook, but they won't go beyond that. You know something that really makes me ashamed? To be honest, makes me ashamed, almost makes me cry. 
is I watch Hong Kong. And what flags are they fly, flying? Mm-hmm. Not a Hong Kong flag. They're carrying American flags. Yeah. Mm-hmm. American flags. And most of the people that are listening right now would never get out in the street to stop our government from doing anything. They won't. Not only will they not go out and risk violence, they won't register. They won't join organizations. They won't do the peaceful things to try to prevent it getting to the violent things. They, the worst they'll do is gripe on Facebook. Pretty bad that yep. people in Hong Kong understand freedom better than supposedly, supposedly the freest nation on earth. Let's take our final break. When I come back, I promise, George, I'm coming to you. I want to talk about, talk about your generation and about licensure. Okay, we'll do that. Coming back on the Dave Ellswick Show. And make a, I don't know, electric current run up your leg, just like it did when, what was his name that heard Obama speak the first time? And Oh, Chris, Chris Wallace? Chris Matthews. Chris Matthews, Chris yeah. Matthews, yeah. He had a, a tingle run up his a leg. A tingle run up his leg. That's like, <laughs> listening to, it's like listening to my show. All right, what the, what the, let's come to you, Jordan. You tell us, tingle. Jordan. You you were talking about millennials, and you're from North Carolina. Yeah, and they're all about license, right? Well, it, it's they've accepted it, right? Because that that's they've been the, taught it. They've been taught that that's the way it is. That to carry a firearm, you need a permit. And, and you know, people growing up, I'm 24, a millennial. You know, that's that's just the way it is, right? And and you know, when you think about that, when you have to get a permission slip to exercise your right, you don't have a right. It's a privilege. And that's why I like to see states move towards constitutional carry legislation where you can carry as a matter of right and not having to get that permission slip. As though, see, I never understood the the whole argument about permits because the only people who will get a permit are the people that will follow the law. Not going to be the criminal. All right? He's not going to... Me, somebody who believes in liberty, but the bottom line, it, then they make me a criminal. But those people don't care. They don't care. You know, it's crazy in Florida. Um, when Pam Bondi was our attorney general, she actually argued before the Florida Supreme Court that if an officer sees someone carrying and conceal that every officer in the state of Florida ought to ought to be able to automatically assume that they are a criminal. And then the, uh, then the person accused it has to defend and prove their innocence by showing the papers. Now, Pam Bondi is supposed to be this big, you know, conservative, but in Florida, mm-hmm. we know she's not. So she actually made that argument that you're automatically to be a viewed as a criminal. Now we lucked out our Supreme court, which is generally more liberal than not our Supreme court, uh, found against her. She said, don't think so. Yeah, the Supreme Court said no. Pam Bondi tried to prove that every gun owner was a criminal first and just, free second. It, what I always try to get people is if, just look at it as a right. Just flip it. It's very easy to make the comparison. That Imagine a state official as high as attorney general saying if someone is carrying a Quran or is wearing a Muslim yeah. piece of jewelry, they are, they can, any police officer can assume they're a terrorist. Until that person can Proves prove they're not. that they're not. How ridiculous that would be. But they do it with a straight face because even gun people, even people that claim they support the Second Amendment, don't treat it like it's a right. 
Yeah. Mm-hmm. They wouldn't put up with it, hopefully, with other things, but we put up with it with the Second Amendment. Do you know what's really interesting? Alexander Hamilton made the ar- this very argument that we're talking about today. Uh, Alexander Hamilton was not a favor in favor of incorporating the Bill of Rights into the Constitution. And he believed that by making a list of our rights yep. that we would actually, he said, uh, give a power to amend, to men disposed to usurp. He said to actually make a credible argument that they have that the federal government would have a right to regulate uh, as long as they didn't infringe. Right. So his his argument was. We don't need a Bill of Rights because the Constitution already specifically describes what the federal government can and cannot do. We've never given them the power to regulate speech or press or or anything like that. So why should we tell them not to do it? And he said by giving telling them they can't do something we've never given them the authority to do, they will make the argument then they must have an inherent authority to regulate because we made a list. Thank God he didn't get his way. Can you imagine where we'd be in this country right now had if we did not have a Bill of Rights? Yeah. I don't know. We have one, but it hasn't made any difference. I think both of the arguments are really good, the argument in favor of the Bill of Rights and the argument opposed to it, because everything that Hamilton said would happen with the Bill of Rights has also come to fruition. Right. The bottom line is most people don't understand that the most important part of the Bill of Rights is the Ninth Amendment which declares that whether the rights are written down or not, they are the property of the people. And we have forgotten that the rights are our property, and we have failed to teach these things. Yeah, well, we've sold a lot of property. Yeah, the, the, the bow on the present of the Bill of Rights was the Ninth and Tenth Amendment. Yeah. It said, you yep. people have infinitely number of rights, more than what we listed, but mm-hmm. the government has no more powers than what we listed. So I love the way they tied that in a bow. Mm-hmm. And what the, when I taught it, I, I think the founder's intent was the Constitution was in, intended to be the cage for the government. And if you look, read the founders, sure. they say government is evil. Not that government, not this government, all government. No matter what form, no matter where it is, government is evil because it's people with authority over other people. The propensity to grow. Yeah, exactly. And so that the attempt of the Constitution was to put it in the cage, and I think the Bill of Rights was the lock. To keep that cage shut, but the, the government, as the founders predicted, have picked the lock, and we're not watching them, and we're not vocal about putting them back in the cage and putting the lock back on. We're out of time. Just saying. <laughs> I was just say the Constitution is actually a contract, and when you understand contract law, you understand the purpose for the Ninth and the Tenth Amendments. In contract law, the Ninth and Tenth Amendments are what we call the rules of construction. Rule number one. Everything within the Constitution and the Bill of Rights must be interpreted first through the application of rule number one. All the rights in the universe belong to the people. Rule number two, that power, not rights, are delegated to the government but are still retained by the people. She's my kind of person, Ed. I'm glad she came on, aren't you? Ten four. She's great. <laughs> All right. Any books that you have out there? People? I have six books, actually. Okay, where are they going to find these And at? I also have DVDs, and I have an online training program at libertyfirstuniversity.com. Okay. And I also have a website, and I have a, a radio show and a television show, and you can find all that at chrisannhall.com, K-R-I-S-A-N-N-E-H-A-L-L.com. There you go. And I know GOA has a website. We do. Yes. And it is? GOA's my friend. (laughs) All right. Go ahead. It's gunowners.org. You can join, sign up for your email, uh, our email list. You can take action all all there at gunowners.org. Can I tell you a secret? I got five seconds. They're better than the NRA. 
All right. I think that, too. All right. We're going to break. I'll see you tomorrow at 2 again here on the Dave Ellswick Show. Thank you, Ed. Thank you, Dave. Star General Michael J. Flynn, head of the Pentagon Intelligence Agency, knew all the government's dirty secrets. He was one of the most respected generals in the military. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He understood its funding. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. The explosive new documentary, Flynn, deliver the truth, whatever the cost, and covers the facts behind this scandal. Flynn told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. I find out the worst enemy that I'm going to face in my life is right here in America. They took my assessment and they wanted me to change it. I was like, I'm not changing it. They had to get rid of Flynn. With in-depth interviews, archival footage, and never-before-seen personal records to the man behind the headlines. I just felt like I was drowning. Flynn. Deliver the truth, whatever the cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to salemnow.com. salemnow.com.